Welcome to the George Lynch Hunting Podcast. This podcast is sponsored by Legendary Gear, the game called company that is legend by design. Go to their website at legendarygearusa.com. This week's guest is a friend of mine, and like so many of my friends, we met through a hunting through the hunting industry. Our guest is an amazing in his accomplishments, and not just for at a young age. It's amazing what he's done for someone twice his age in two lifetimes. And um, I kind of recognize him, gave him my label of him as the young Jim Shockey at Waterfowl Hunts. But uh, I'd like to welcome this week's guest, Ryan Basham. Ryan, welcome to our podcast, buddy. Hey, man, I really appreciate it. Excited to uh, to get to chat with you. And, and I don't know quite how to follow up that introduction. That's overwhelming. I really appreciate that. Um, but yeah, no, looking forward to just getting to chat with you. Well, uh, you know what? If you got a huge social media following and the guys that follow those that follow you on social media will see, I mean, your accomplishments. And it seems like every week you're somewhere else. And, and, uh, you and I have talked before when I first, you know, was watching some of your, your photos and stuff. And when you're in Africa, because that was always like the dream when you're a young kid, you know, through the young, the outdoor life magazines, you know, as a kid reading the articles and people killing, you know, the, the, big game in Africa as a young kid, you said, and wow, that was my dream, you know, to go after right. it. And you're doing it, man. You're doing it. Can you give us a little it's history? Uh, just, just give us your background and how you got started and, and where you're from and family and everything else. Yeah. Gosh, that's a, that's a loaded one there. So, um, I'm, I'm originally from, from Texas and, my family is from deeper up into Northeast Texas, about an hour and a half from, from Dallas. And they grew up uh, dairy farmers and cotton and hay. And, and so um, I kind of, I grew up in that world a little bit, but, but most of my, my youth, I, I grew up in the Dallas area and um, was kind of part of the big city, but we would always go back out to our old dairy farm as, as often as we could where my grandparents lived. And that's kind of where, my love for the outdoors began and, and where I first started hunting. And, um, you know, my dad introduced me to hunt whitetail. Um, and uh, I had a couple of cousins that talked me into starting up on, on duck hunting. And that kind of became a, an adventure um, that I pursued on my own because my dad wasn't really into it. And, and I would go and stay with my grandma. And we had uh, what I didn't realize at the time, but some world-class duck hunting down at the, the bottom of our dairy farm there. And and uh, so, the, yeah, that's kind of where I cut my teeth on all that. And just like you said, I mean, I grew up kind of dreaming about all these far-flung places and these animals that I didn't even know what they were. And it just sounded like an adventure. And, and I've always been addicted to the adventure and the idea of it. And, um, yeah, that, that all started at a young age, you know, out there and uh, with my grandparents and, and, you know, just finding my love for hunting and it's taken me to some amazing places, and, and it's uh, it's been a fun ride. Well, you actually were blessed to be born in an area that had definitely had whitetails and had the great duck hunting, so it, you you were That's right. right there. That that was a blessing. Was there anybody that you would say at a young age that you looked up to as a mentor or someone as a hero and say, man, I want to do what this guy does? Was it someone that that you kind of looked up to or – basically self-directed that's that's a good question too so you know i remember from a young age my my dad would be my first one and and he hasn't been able to go and do nearly as much as as i have but you know he introduced me to hunting and then every year he would go to colorado um with uh, a couple of my uncles and, and they would go elk hunting and so um i just remember as a kid just thinking to myself wow they're going off on this amazing adventure hopefully one day i get to go and they would come back with all these great stories. And I just remember being anxious of, you know, looking out the window to see if dad was pulling up and, and was there elk in the back and, and all that good stuff. And so, um, that kind of it, it was the spark that ignited everything. And then, um, from there, you know, you, you're influenced by a, a lot of people. And back in those days, it was through print magazine and, and, and television. And I don't know if there was any one person, but it was just kind of a, conglomerate of of things that um kind of inspired me to want to go out and and, and do that i would flip through magazines as a kid and see all these these wild adventures and read the articles and wanted to try it one day and and where we lived um dallas safari club and i'm still a lifetime member of dallas safari club that was a big deal and so i would go to the conventions and 
I'd go to Texas Trophy Hunter Extravaganza and go to their convention and walk up and down the aisles. And I was the kid collecting all the pamphlets from every single booth. I, I went down every aisle. My dad was patient enough to let me do it. And I'd come home and spread them all out o- over the floor and organize them by country and continent where all these hunts took place and um, not just big game, but waterfowl too. And, and so I just kind of fell in love with the idea of traveling the world and seeing that stuff in person. But I never, honestly never thought I'd ever hunt outside of Northeast Texas. It was just the dream. Right. And so um, that's kind of where it started. There was no, never really any one particular individual uh, my dad fostered the love that I had for it, and it just kind of took off on on its own in its own organic way. Yeah, kind of like me, like you said, you know, reading articles and magazines and pictures and hunts and right. dreaming one day I'd like to do that. Uh, it's I've to me was uh, watching the Fred Bear, the old Fred Bear videos. I always put Fred Bear at a high esteem because he was an inventor, but he was also a, a leader. You know, he was doing taking a path and bow hunting when right. bows weren't popular and the film then filming when you know when nobody else was doing anything he was definitely a trend trend leader but uh you also definitely. on your personal side you you uh got a wife and two beautiful girls i do yeah so um i met my wife in, in high school and uh, we're we're high school sweethearts i actually met her in middle school we were in seventh seventh eighth grade and um so we've known each other for our most of our lives and um the church that i attend i had an opportunity to serve a mission for our church and i lived in ecuador down in south america for two years um came home and and she was still still around waiting for me so i got lucky and was blessed there and we got married a couple months after i got home from that two-year mission in ecuador and um shortly after we we had two little girls i went to school at texas a&m university and that's where my first daughter was born and um that's when i first started kind of getting into more of the, the hunting industry side of things kind of during my college career and um, started hosting some trips to different places for a couple of different booking agencies and then eventually started my own booking agency, but um, started doing some back when pro staff was a legitimate thing, started doing some pro staff stuff for different companies. And, and yeah, just kind of one thing led to another. I never really had a master plan of what to go out and do. I just was following my passion and, and doing what I love, but we're, we're fortunate our family to live here in Bozeman, Montana now, and two little girls that fortunately love the outdoors as much as mom and dad do. So we have a lot of fun up here. So being, can I call, are you, do you call yourself an Aggie? I do call myself an Aggie. <laughs> sure enough. Do. Texas A&M. My wife's looking but I'm not at like me. All the other crazy ones. I'm a passionate Aggie, but I'm not obnoxious about it. There you go. Hook them horn. That's not you. That's not an Aggie. That's not an Aggie. That's different. That's a long That's horn. Right. That's right. But uh, does your uh, does Marissa does she do hunting with you or do any of the hunting? I mean, she bow hunts too, doesn't she? She does. Yeah. So um, I took her on her first hunt when we were in high school. Uh, it was a duck hunt and then we did some deer hunting. Um, while I was actually gone in Ecuador, my dad was still taking her and her dad would go and she shot her first deer, um, while I was gone and on my mission. But yeah, now she, she hunts as much as I do. She's, uh, since we've lived here in Montana, she's taken a couple of bulls, uh, bull elk with her, with her bow, shot a really nice bull last year and likes to go and, and, um, you know, waterfowl hunt as well. She's pretty handy on goose call, um, which is nice. Um, but yeah, no, we, we, in fact, gosh, five years ago, we celebrated our 10 year anniversary in Hawaii hunting axis deer. So, and this year we're going to up to Canada hunt black bear for a 15 year anniversary. So there you go. We, we, we fully embrace that hunting lifestyle. She loves it as much as I do. She may not go on as many far flung adventures, but that's mainly because she really enjoys being mom and she has her job here. And I'm just fortunately in a situation where I can go and do more. Well, I heard there's tale in in, Bo- in Bozeman, Montana, that she's going around getting a collection for the uh, Ryan Basham <laughs> Hunting Museum for trophy heads to put his. Ears <laughs> it's funny you mentioned that. A guy at church yesterday was like, "What are you doing with all this stuff?" I was like, "I don't have a place for all of it, honestly. I we probably do need to start running some sort of collection or GoFundMe and find somewhere to put all this." Oh, uh, dude, I, overflowing I, I seen a picture of your waterfall room and I was like. Holy crap, man, this dude's got, he, it looks like a tornado just coming down the land. 
That's you kind of yeah. I'm actually sitting in that room right now, and uh, <laughs> it's impressive. Supposed to have a bunch more stuff delivered at some point this year, just birds, and I, I don't know how we're gonna make it work, but we'll figure something out. We'll yeah, and speaking here. of that, speaking of that, we just did a podcast with with, with a local uh, taxidermist that we love. But do you uh, have a, a favorite? I'm sure you do. That taxidermist that you use i do yeah and i've used some really talented individuals um over the past you know 10 15 years um but now and and i like it because they're a one-stop shop for me i mean those other guys that i've used are amazing but kanadi taxidermy out of myerstown pennsylvania um they do tremendous i mean they do tremendous work all around it's hard to find a good taxidermist that can do birds so typically i've always just found somebody that is just a bird guy um that's what they specialize in that's all they want to do they understand the anatomy of birds and therefore their their end product turns out a lot better and kanadi has a couple of great bird guys that they they have on staff same thing with cats once you start getting into mountain lion or lions and leopards you know whatever it may be caracals whatever cat you can really screw up the face of a cat they've got a guy dedicated that just does cats and so they can do it all um i send everything there now um literally everything goes to Kanadi taxidermy for us. So, and they deliver, even though they're in Pennsylvania and I'm in Montana, um, once or twice a year, they just bring over a huge load of semi truck pulls up, (laughs) set them up and and they, and they do that for a lot of their clients just kind of all over the U S. So they, it's, it's a great operation. Do they have a semi truck that just pulls up to your place? They've got a freaking huge trailer. I don't know how many feet that thing is, but it's it's big. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome, dude. That's awesome. And you're 100% correct. It's hard to find someone. In fact, it's very rare you find someone that can do, you know, like you said, you got someone who specializes in, in fowl or, tur- you know, the turkey and birds. And, and then you got other guys who are good at the big game. And, you know, it, it is. It's definitely it's a one-stop shop. That would say a lot for it. Um Let's right. talk a little bit about trophy expeditions. What's this about? Yeah, so my parents um, still live down in Dallas, Texas, and uh, they um, have run their own travel agency for 44 years now, and they're actually going to be retiring in September. But my, my, my dad and I started trophy expeditions kind of as a, a branch off of their travel agency. And um, basically what they've done for 44 years is you, you name it, any and all kinds of travel – around the world, whether it be corporate travel for businesses, um, leisure travel for people looking to book a cruise or go to Disney World or go to the beach for a week. Um, but it's airfare, um, hotels, car rentals, uh, tours in Europe, cruises, you, you name it, anything and everything. They can do um, travel insurance, all the above. And so we had all that going for us. We understand the world of travel very well because that's that's been our livelihood as a family. Um, so we added Trophy Expeditions as our own booking agency because we were like, well, we can literally do everything already. It, one extra little step is just helping hunters book the hunt with the right outfitter. And um, there's a there's a right and wrong way to do that. Um, you know, I feel like we've kind of seen the good, bad, and the ugly as as customers ourselves as well as learn from our own mistakes along the last 10 years of doing this um but you got to have boots on the ground we like to go and vet all of our outfitters that we work with and represent and and then that way we kind of have a menu that we can look at for for our customers and they'll call us up and say hey i'm this is my dream hunt this is what i want to accomplish this is my budget this is when i can go and Based on those variables in the equation, we we help hopefully get them on the hunt of a lifetime and help them fulfill that dream. Awesome. Now, has it grown beyond just you and your dad, or is it still just the two of you? It, it's still just the two of us, and, and I prefer to keep it that way because I've got other ventures that are that are doing really well, um, and so it's kind of in a in a sweet spot for us. We don't honestly, I don't do trophy expeditions to. That's not what pays my bills. Um, it is a passion project for me. Um, I love to go and hunt and explore and see the world. And this is an opportunity that facilitates that. And I've fired clients that quite frankly, just keeping it real have, have been a a bit of a pain. (laughs) We do this for fun, not because we have to. Exactly. And so, um, we're, we're able to work with the outfitters that are good outfitters and that we have a good relationship with. And it's the same with the clients. And I try to host a handful of trips each year with, with a lot of clients that are now just really great friends and 
and um, it's been a it's been a fun ride. I imagine the two years of COVID kind of put a damper on a lot of it, didn't it? It made things incredibly interesting. Um, you know, that being said, you know, in 2021, I ended up in eight different countries hunting, and so it it slowed it down in 2020 for sure didn't see a huge slowdown in 2021 it just made things complicated and now this year it's it's starting to normalize um more and more and more and we see that in the news almost every day i feel like yeah i had a friend who does uh, work in the industry and he was talking about going to england and in a meeting and you know the, the round trips but the thousands of dollars he paid in covid test at each airport oh, yeah. it, was, it was oh my gosh it was crazy you know yeah yeah no it's there's definitely been some extra costs. There's been some some changes, and the, the changes happen on a weekly or have been happening on a weekly basis. Just as far as you know, what the criteria is to get in and out of each country and, and the hoops you have to jump through. But I mean, I kind of just fully embraced it and said, you know what, you know, I don't have any addictions except for this. This is the one thing I'm addicted to, and that is traveling and going and going on these adventures and seeing these places and it's all been worth it. I have, I have zero regrets over the last couple of years of trying to make it happen. And, and a lot of our clients are the same way, same mindset. They're like, Hey, there's still fun things to go out there and do. And we'll take calculated risks and plan accordingly. And it was all worth it. So uh, this year we're already seeing some great things like Argentina. I just got back from and while I was there, the Argentine government actually, you don't have to have a vaccination card. You don't have to be, um, have a negative COVID test. Um, you can just go to Argentina now. And so hopefully that will be a trend that we continue to see where we see some countries start to relax a lot of these um, these things. I, I go to South Africa tomorrow and um, all I have to have is my vaccination card. I don't have to be tested anymore. Um, the couple of times I went last year, I had to test each time. So it's it's getting easier, thank goodness. Um, and hopefully we'll, we'll see that trend continue. Um, well, let's talk some about some of these other endeavors. You got me curious. Sure. Yeah. So, um, I, uh, my, my career path has been interesting. I've, I've been, I, I, I tell people I've taken the opportunistic approach, um, college station at Texas A&M. I was on the triathlon team and, um, this is before I got fat and created my dad bod, but I, I was on the triathlon team, loved endurance sports. Um, I did a lot of ultra running, did a couple Ironman events. And, um, so I, I ended up in the shoe industry, running shoe industry. And then from there, I, I went on to Drake Waterfowl, worked there for a bit. And then I worked at Sika Gear for uh, about four and a half years. And basically all those opportunities combined and the amazing people that I was able to work with at each of those places, um, I feel like made me a better, well-rounded person when it comes to sales and marketing. And the last two and a half, three years now, I've been out on my own as a consultant and business partner. And so I work with my own boss and work with a few different companies, um, two of which are here in Bozeman, another one which um, has actually yet to launch down in Tennessee, um, and then I've been quietly working in the background on a tech company based out of Dallas. And so um, which one do you, do you want to talk about? Because <laughs> well, there's there's a few, and it's and they're, they're all a ton of fun. <laughs> which one, to, I mean, let's. you said the one in Tennessee hasn't started yet. Which, what is that about? Yeah. So that's probably going to be the one that interests you the most anyway. Um, so it's called Thor Boats, and, and I'm a little – Put the hammer down. Because you put that hammer down. So you know our buddy Jake Paul Jackson. Um, so I'm working as a fractional CMO for, for Thor Boats. Um, we've been working on it for a little over a year now. Um, and, and yeah, we, we hope, let's see, it's into April that we're doing this podcast. We hope to have our first boats available to the public by late June, early July. Now, are these so, going to be a fishing boat, a waterfowl boat or both or what? Leisure both, boats? Both. Yes. And so there'll be several models, not at first, uh, but we do plan on making several models. We'll do some bay fishing boats. We'll do several different models of waterfowl hunting boats. And I can't say too much, um, but I'll, but I'll say that and. And we have amassed a, a pretty impressive team. Um, Jay Paul was at Excel Boats for several years. Um, I worked yeah. with Jay Paul together when we were at Drake um, on the TV show Migration Nation, which which I'm sure you remember. Oh yeah. Um, and so yeah, now we've uh, kind of teamed up and excited to be working together again. And um, we're we're going to do it a little bit different. And I think we we've actually had the first boats on the water 
last month or so now and super, super excited with how they've been performing. And, and yeah, we're just excited to be bringing something a little bit different to the Marine world and, and that'll be a, a fun company to work with. So excited to get that launched and, and tell people about it for sure. I was showing Diane the logo. I said, this is an awesome logo. And I said, what a, yeah. I love the, the, put the hammer down. I love that. That put was that great. Down. Yeah. You know, and the first thing you know, it, it came to my mind, if you ever need someone to really intelligent to field research that for you, I, I know just the guy. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I know him too. And we'll definitely be discussing after this what yeah. we can do there. Cause we need, we need to do something together with it. Absolutely, man. It, but it's, it's just, I love the guys, you know, I've always, my son is your age and I've always pushed him in, in sports and, and everything in life. And, and, you know, I said, you know, you're going to make mistakes and don't worry about it. But the difference between a fool and, and, a, and a wise person is they don't make the same one twice and you get back up and you always want to be cream in life. And what do you mean by cream? Well, cream, you can stir it up, knock it down, but it always rises back to the top. And That's uh, right. life is a journey and the good Lord puts us on that and, you know, it's that's right. So anyway, that's uh, I'm it just it's I'm very impressed with you and proud to call you a friend. And it, it's what you're doing is is living you're living life, my friend. And and um, yep. talking about, you know, one of the things my wife is she's talking and she has all these great. She says, I wonder, you know, what his top five favorite big game animals are to hunt. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man, um, that question's getting tougher and tougher I feel like you think it would get easier over time um wow so just based on what I've experienced because I've 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 got the probably a top at least a top three maybe five um and then I've got my wish list still so uh of what I've experienced the the true the most true adventure I've been on that's that still to this day just the most wild experience was hunting mid-Asian ibex in Kyrgyzstan oh um, yeah it took about, it was from the time I left my house, it took about three days to get to camp. Um, and that was, you know, flying across the world, jumping in a truck, driving for about 10 hours, jumping in a different truck, and then going through military checkpoints. And now all of a sudden we're on the border of China and I'm going, what on earth am I doing? This is insane. And we're base camp was at 13,000 feet. And, uh, you know, we sat there for two or three days just to get acclimated, just walking from our little yurt to the to the outhouse, which was about 100 yards away, was was pretty taxing. And I live at 6000 feet. So um, we were all feeling the altitude pretty good there. And then uh, finally saddled up horses and uh, went a little bit higher up and kind of all went our different directions. And I, uh, I was with two Kyrgyzstani guys. Neither of them spoke a word of English. They couldn't even tell you hello. I sent our, our interpreter with our clients. And, um, and yeah, we, we headed up into the Tian Shan Mountains and got up to close to 14,000 feet where we finally found one that I was more than happy with and missed the first shot at 600 yards and got fortunate enough to um, get another shot at him. And snowstorm was blowing in and it was just one of those crazy, crazy experiences. I, I, I remember what on that second shot, the snowstorm's blowing in. And I, I like to have dexterity and, and feel what's going on in my hands. And I didn't realize it because I was so in the moment, but my, my hand got so cold when he finally gave me an opportunity at a second shot. I couldn't feel my trigger finger well enough to oh, pull the wow. trigger. So I took my glove off my other hand, got repositioned and had to use my other hand to push my trigger finger down just to get the shot off. My hands were so dead. No way. Wow. It was just a crazy experience. And then, so there's three of us, um, well, I take that back. There was four of us because I keep forgetting that we, we had the, for whatever reason, the equivalent of their game warden was with us. So I had these two guides, myself and the game warden was just kind of tagging along, not doing anything, just observing really. But we ended up because of the weather, we, we couldn't get back to um, where our base camp was. And so we, we had fly camp there and there was, it was a two man tent, but there was four of us. So that got interesting. Um, if you ever have one of those, that was my moment of what on earth am I doing on the border of China at almost 14,000 feet with these guys that don't speak a word of English and snoring in my ear, shoulder to shoulder. It was just kind of one of those crazy moments. And, um, 
got up the next morning and it cleared and we rode back about 15 miles back to camp and it was awesome that was a crazy one so that's that's my number one and my other stories aren't nearly as long that one is just so special to me well so let me ask you is that i real quick is, is that ibex going to be uh full mounted it is full body mounted and it's actually at um one of the offices that i, I i'm a partner in a company here in bozeman called peaks equipment and we make backcountry hunting equipment and it's over there at the office in our showroom that's awesome yeah yeah i wish he was here at the house but marissa <laughs> kind of drawn a line and said hey this is not a museum this is our home and i and i agree with her and so the big stuff is in other places but but yeah no it's uh that was an incredible experience incredible hunt um i am obsessed with hunting cape buffalo all over africa which is what i'm leaving tomorrow to go do um so that one's definitely in my, in my top um you know even here closer to home uh archery hunting elk during the rut is super super special i i put i mean despite all these weird animals i've been able to go and hunt archery elk is still up there um and uh those are definitely my top three on on big game well, dude you've got so I've many got cool, some cool stuff, you've got right? so many cool stories i mean you've got to have a cool story about the the cape buffalo i mean I mean, of all these hunts, I mean, there's got to be, you know, it was there life-threatening. Of course, every time you go in front of Cape Buffalo, oh, yeah. it's got to be life-threatening. But I'm sure our listeners would love to hear some of this. This is awesome. <laughs> well, so I, I do have some good Cape Buffalo stories, but my, my lion story is actually better than my Cape Buffalo stories. Uh, I want to he- so hear I, I, I mean, we've had some close encounters with Buff where the hunt ended within 20 steps of Buffalo. Um the second to last one I hunted, he did charge. Um, so that was exciting. But but the lion hunt I had a few years ago was was the one that really I was just kind of like, oh, man, this is someone's going to get hurt. Um, and, you know, that going into these, you know, these dangerous game hunts in Africa, that's that's the allure. Honestly, a lot of people are they they're like, oh, mountain hunting. And, and I love mountain hunting. I do it all the time. It's, it's a physically demanding, mentally trying physical activity. And that's why you love it because it pushes yourself physically and mentally with dangerous game in Africa. It's all about the adrenaline rush. It's like, Holy crap, this thing wants to kill me. And and that's a different type of hunt. It's a different, it's a totally different experience within the, the spectrum of hunting that, that a person can go and, and, and have. And so, um, long story short, you know, we were tracking, we're trying to track lions, trying to find a good one. And we had been at it for two or three days and it just kind of happens quick. It, lo and behold, out of nowhere, um, we caught a glimpse of this lion and he was kind of got back around to, to where we, we thought he would be. Um, and we bumped him and he crossed this open spot. And I thought he was just going to go and, you know, we had boogered it up and, you know, we'd, we'd have to come up with a different plan and, and figure out how to, to get him on, get on him another day or, go and now we know where he's at we can set baits whatever it was going to be but he didn't do that he he kind of he took off across this flat open area and it was really tall grass that time of the year normally is drought conditions but they'd had a lot of rain so the grass was a bit higher and we watched him kind of get close to a little group of trees and he stopped turned around and immediately bedded down and you could just barely see the top of his mane and he at this point he was probably a couple hundred yards away we're just watching him through the binoculars and uh the pH I was with was like, Hey, this is our chance. Let's, let's get closer and see if we can make it happen. And I was like, okay, let's go. And so typically on a dangerous game hunt, most of the ones I've encountered anyways, is you have two pHs, everybody has a gun. Um, and then we obviously had a tracker in this case, we had two trackers and we also had, um, game warden or the equivalent of game warden there to observe. And so, you always want to position your hunter, which was myself in this case, kind of in the middle, and we're going to go straight at this thing. And then off to the left and the right, 20, 30 yards apart, you have your pHs. That way, in case there is a charge, he's got to make a decision, um, whether that's an elephant or a lion or a leopard or a buffalo, whatever. They've got to make a decision. They can only charge one person. So if you've got everybody kind of spread out, you've got different angles at which you can stop that animal more carefully. And, oh, it makes and sense. Yeah. Just mass chaos. Right. And so we get to about a hundred yards and he still hasn't moved. Um, we spread out and he's like, all right, 
you know, do you got one in the chamber? Make sure you're, you're ready to click it off safety, blah, 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 blah. And he's like, let's just start moving closer slowly. At this one, I couldn't even, I mean, surely the lion knows we're there. We could barely see the top of his mane. Um, and so we start moving closer. We get to about eight yards and we stop. And he's like, all right, take it off safety. Put it on low power because I was shooting a 375 H&H with um, a, a low power scope on it. Is that a bolt so action? I had a great. What's that? Is that a bolt action? This was a bolt action, yes. Oh, wow. And this is actually one that I was borrowing while I was there. It wasn't my personal gun. And so um, we get closer. We get to about 60 yards. Stop. Do the same thing. He's like, okay, this this line is getting agitated now. We're He's like, be, be ready. And he's like, you know, we've waited for four or five minutes. He's like, okay, now let's move closer. And I'm like, okay, so now we get to 60 yards. Same thing. He's like, ah. Oh, He's going to, he's going to either run away or he's going to come to us. You got, you need to be ready. He's like, okay, I'm, I'm ready. But then he goes, let's get closer. I was like, good, great. <laughs> so now we're like 40 yards. And, um, at this point you can hear the, the lines, this low growl rumble, which I won't try to replicate here, but it's, it's pretty intense. It makes the hair stand up on the back of your neck. And I can see the, now you can see more than the main, you can see his tail twitching. Same as the house cat getting pissed off. Right. And so, you know, the cat's mad. This is a, you know, 400 pound animal that, you know, is equipped to, to tear up anything sheds. wants to tear up yeah. and, and quickly. They're very fast. And so he's like, all right, he's going to, he's going to jolt any minute. He's either going to go left, right, or come straight to us. Just be ready. And then he follows that up with, let's get closer. And I'm like, good grief, man. So now we're at 30 yards and he, the cat's clearly pissed off. And he's like, as soon as he stands up take your shot and um no longer i mean he barely got those words out of his mouth and cat jumped up and he didn't get one step because at that point you know all of your senses are heightened and he kind of angled back like he was going to come to the the ph to my right and so who knows if he was charging or if he was just gonna try to get out the backside or or, or what but it happened so quick we couldn't really get a, a good idea of what he was going to do as soon as he stood up I was able to get on him and one shot done and it was one kind shot. of a crazy experience, but, but, you know, being that close to an animal that dangerous, um, that can move that quickly. I'd rather hunt Buffalo. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Lion hunting is awesome. It's amazing. I'd do it again, but that one was even, it felt more dangerous. At least with the Buffalo, I felt like I could keep my emotions and my adrenaline down and, and, uh, stay composed a little bit better. That one got interesting fast. Was that adult male? Yes, it was. Um, we we think he was about eight years old and nice dark mane and, um, you know, big, beautiful cat. And that particular area, they were doing some management conservation practices. And, you know, they decided that they, they had on quota two male lions for the year and needed to get numbers down. And, and, and a lot of Africans like that. They, they're really good, actually, at from country to country. It's different but understanding what their carrying capacity is for different species across different geographical areas and managing human to animal conflict. And the government a lot of times is kind of crooked, but they listen to their biologists and they understand, Oh, we need to issue this amount of permits so that we can keep these um, populations in check and managed appropriately. And so that's what we were there doing. Well, let me ask a question. Why? You're shooting such a, a, a big caliber gun. Why was the pH wanting to get closer? The, we had to keep getting closer because there was no presentable shot. Ah. The grass was so tall, we couldn't, I could literally just barely see the top of his mane. The minimum caliber in Africa you can hunt the big five with or dangerous game in, in general is a 375. And so I was shooting a 375, 300 grain um, bullet and I believe it was a Hornady. I can't remember exactly. This was several years ago, but um, that's kind of like the minimum. Um, now I hunt Buffalo. Like I'm taking an old um, iron sight double. It's a 450, 400 nitro express. It's what I just hunted with in Argentina for the water Buffalo there. Too. Yeah, I saw that dude. That, that, it's got it's more stopping power. <laughs> yeah. But doesn't that just rock your shoulder? A double, it's a double you know, barrel, right? It, it's a, yeah, but those old doubles are, they're so heavy. Ah. And and I'm shooting a little bit of a custom load. Like it's still 400 grain bullet and it's got a tremendous amount of stopping power. It doesn't kick nearly as bad as, as one would think. Now, once you get up into like a 500 nitro, 
obviously that's that packs a wallop um but uh in the moment too you've got so much adrenaline going you're not even really thinking about it um you don't feel it it's 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 kind it can be life and death scenario so your your whole mentality about what's going on is is um i don't know everything's heightened your senses are heightened and, and but you don't you're 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 getting rid of all the things that don't matter and that recoil on that gun does not matter what matters is getting back on him for that follow-up shot absolutely i'll tell you what I, I, anything on in africa big game and you know i've tried to watch every video i can and i have gone on youtube and watched lion attacks and dude yeah. i'm sitting there myself heart pounding and i've watched this and you you're exactly right I've seen videos where that you know they kind of separate so your guy can shoot from the side. You got you know it's in different angles, but that cat is out there and they're like a house cat, but they're bending down that tail and you're and and they're in the high weeds. And I can recall one line hunt where the line just charged and dude he was like from 60, 70 yards on them in no time. And right, oh, absolutely. And then, of course, you know, the guy shot and the line still went after the guy and, and hit him. The guy bounced to the side, but I'm just like, oh my gosh, that is, uh, <laughs> I think my tracker, I put him in front of me. <laughs> it's pretty wild. I mean, um, Lance Nisbet is a, a gentleman I hunted with, uh, PH in, in Zimbabwe last year, and I'm going to Tanzania with him next year uh, and client. And he's got some incredible stories. He's probably hunted, he's been on over 100 leopard hunts and um i think about 40 or 50 of those have been successful which is pretty darn good for leopard it's it's a very difficult challenging hunt it's not quite the success rate or it's nowhere near the success rate as the other critters over there um but you know he's got some pretty crazy stories and he's had you know wounded leopards attack him when they're trying to track you know after a bad shot from a client it's it can get really intense really fast i mean it's not a question of if it's it's how many phs will die this year have you hunted elephant say it again have you hunted elephant no not yet definitely on the list that would be up in my top five for sure um trying to trying to finish up my my big five so um i i've heard it's a pretty pretty incredible emotional experience so um definitely something i am looking forward to doing one day yeah for the people out there that might not know the ph is a your professional hunter isn't that right Right. Yeah. Correct. Correct. Now, uh, most people die from hippos over there, though, isn't it? Or my. That's correct. Yeah. 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 So the the number one animal over there um, that's directly related to human animal conflict related deaths is the hippo. And and I will be going to Zambia in June to hunt hippo and, and some other animals, but uh, they're they're pretty gnarly. They're not the the cuddly creature that Disney <laughs> portrays them to be. Um, yeah. They, uh, they are, they can run up to 30 miles an hour on land and they're incredibly territorial and, um, in water, you don't stand a chance. And it's one of the only animals, um, it is the only animal in Africa that can completely take out a croc. And so one chomp with the, with that mouth and those huge tusks they have will completely, you know, crush the skull of a croc and that there's nothing else out there that can really compete with a croc in, in the water except for those guys. So they're, they're a pretty incredible animal. So what's more dangerous, hunting the Cape Buffalo or hunting a rhino? Oh, good question. Um, well, so the white rhino is a little, uh, I don't know if I can use the word docile <laughs> and, and refer to, to a, a rhino at all, but the white rhino is not quite as aggressive as the black rhino. Um, black rhinos are, are very aggressive. I Because of how Cape Buffalo survive i would probably say the cape buffalo um cape buffalo is a lion's you know that is their meal of choice they can run up into some pretty big herds and so you get into a big group of buffalo i I think that's way more dangerous than pursuing rhino have uh have you had a chance have you ever gone after some of the north america big game like the kodiak anything like that a polar bear anything have you has that ever been on your wish list yeah, definitely. Uh, I've not done polar bear. Um, I've been on a couple of grizzly hunts um, that were kind of like caribou, moose, grizzly would be a, a bonus sort of a thing. Got close to some grizzlies, but there was always sows with cubs. Um, was supposed to go on a brown bear hunt in peninsula this this year, but I might have to push that. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, s- s- similar, but if I were to compare 
at least my experiences with grizzly bear here in Montana and, and some of the brown bears I've encountered in Alaska versus Africa dangerous game. Africa dangerous game is definitely more dangerous. Oh, yeah. um, not taking anything away from the bear hunting here and, and what those animals are capable of, but they're, they're very different. Um, there's a lot of things that can kill you in Africa outside of just the, the big game species. So it's, they call it the dark continent for a reason. It's a lot of ways to die over there if you're not careful. And, uh, I was, in Fred Bear's field notes, he talks about over there in Africa. And, and I remember as a young child uh, being in Michigan that we went to <laughs> on a field trip to the Detroit Zoo. And I was always yeah. fascinated with the cats. And I'll never forget, oh, sure. <laughs> this is a truth, I'll never forget the walking in and hearing that roar. That is the, and, and as a kid, you're sitting there and it's the most, I don't know what else in your life that you could hear that would just stop you in your tracks and just make you about pee your pants. I mean, it's. Oh, for sure. I mean, it's, <laughs> there's nothing like it. And, and, uh, there's, uh, you, you reminded me, you said that it reminded me of an experience I had in Africa. Um, we were in a tip camp and, uh, and so it's just wall tip camps and, we weren't even hunting cats, but we were in an area that was known to have cats come through. And I don't know, it was like, it was the middle of the night, but for whatever reason I had woken up and, and I could hear what I later learned was the mating call of a male leopard. And this thing wasn't, I mean, he was 20 yards. I mean, he was close and I could hear his jaws popping this low, like really weird moan, growl, sort of a noise. And, and I was like, I mean, at that point you're wide awake, you're not going back to sleep. But uh, being that close to those animals when they're making those sounds, I mean, there's just nothing like it. It, it will heighten all the senses. And, and if your head's not on a swivel at that point, then, you know, something's wrong with you because it's scary. Well, that's <laughs> what Fred, no Bear, Fred Bear talks about. And then this is years and years ago, but, you know, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. He's one of the pioneers, but he was sitting in a ground blind with the pH. And it might have been with a, a, one of a, a guy, but they were in the blind. He had shot an apple. Now, this is with a, you know, a recurve bow, probably an 80-pound. But sure. he shoots this Crazy. African lion. And, uh, right, you know, they're waiting. And, well, another lion comes in. And they thought it was the same one, but it kept roaring. It just, I mean, outside. So they spent all night out in that bl- yeah. on the ground in that blind because they couldn't leave the blind with that. But he's all night right. listening to that lion roar. That just had That's to be crazy. pure punishment, you know? Crazy. Yeah. <laughs> I so, can't imagine. I, I love bow hunting and hunting with a rifle. I think they're both incredible. I've yet to hunt any of the dangerous game over there with a the bow. So what Fred Bear did in his time is just awesome. Those stories are amazing. Yeah, it was like his, if you read the stories, like his third or fourth polar bear that he finally killed with a bow. Each one had to be finished with a gun, you know, through the charge. Yeah. And stuff, which was always yeah, amazing. Fair. And then, you know, the the filming that they did back then, it's just always, that was, he was a, my pioneer, right. the guy I looked up to. Now, if someone For wanted sure. to get hooked up and, and do a hunt with you, what is the best way, What your, your website, or what's the best way to go through? Um, I just like to have people contact me. Um, you know, they can either contact me on, on Instagram, um, on, at trophy expeditions or at Ryan Bassam on Instagram. Um, you know, all our contact information is on the website. You can find my phone number there and just call me directly. The website needs to be updated. To be honest, we've been so busy and word of mouth has been so good. I've neglected the site a little bit just because we were kind of booked at capacity for, for a lot of our hunts. Um, not all of our hunts. Africa is always, there's always open opportunity over there. Just, to the, due to the nature of, of how those hunts work. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I have no problem with people reaching out to me directly. That makes life a lot easier. Um, my phone number is 214-926-5536. So there you go. If you're interested in at least, at least even just exploring the opportunity, or even if you don't book with me, like I, I love it when people just say, Hey, I'm, I'm thinking about doing this. And even if you're not booking with me, I'm happy to help. And, you know, tell you some of the pitfalls to try to avoid and um, just kind of what we've experienced as, as we've done this as a business for the last 10 years and learning from some of our clients that have done way more than I can ever even imagine. Um, always, always happy to share knowledge to make sure somebody has a good opportunity and, and a good experience. I always thought that I would love to do a Russian hunt, you know, either whether for Kodiak <laughs> or, you know, Grizzly or for uh, 
yeah. loose, and I don't think that's going to happen. So. No, um, it's funny you mentioned that. I was supposed to go to Russia this July with a client for to hunt snow sheep and grizzly bear, or brown bear, rather. I hear um, that. That got canceled. Yeah, <laughs> and I hear the hunting over there is phenomenal. It is. Yeah, no, um, that's what's, you know, there's a lot of unfortunate things about what's going on over there right now, and um, hunting's the, the least of the unfortunate matters. It's it's under, it's just a bad situation. But yes, the hunting over there is absolutely incredible, and we got a lot of game animals and a lot of really cool country to explore. And um, who knows? I mean, we never thought that uh, certain countries would open up and, and allow hunting again, and, and now here they are open, and you can go and have some pretty pretty cool adventures elsewhere. I've got a couple of guys I'm taking to Mongolia next year for sheep oh, cool. hunts, and that's an amazing opportunity. And um, there's a lot of cool places to go out there and explore still, even outside of Russia. I think that would be my number one. I have to, I always wanted to do Africa, but I've, since a kid, I've been yeah. fascinated with sheep. I mean, I would love yes, to well, shoot sheep. I mean, from all over, from it's a Canada. Special experience. Yeah. I mean, it just, I don't know if the, the condition, I def, definitely have to get in better condition today if they ever wanted to do that. But uh, now that's, we're going to get down to the truth. last. I mean, I'll, I'll be the first to tell you, there's no faking it till you make it on a sheep hunt you better be you better be ready to go and the ibex hunts are even harder um because the ibex are typically up at a higher elevation than sheep in most places and they're in a little bit trickier more technical terrain so it's uh they're good challenges and great experiences i'm what? surprised we've gotten this far we haven't even talked about any any duck hunting <laughs> i know it well dude your big game it's what it's it's fascinating I mean, people watch, There's you, you see a lot of duck hunting and goose hunting. That's what, yeah. you know, people come into my place, and we're blessed to live out in Iowa, and we were hard after the turkeys and after the waterfowl. Sure. Got, and I my, got my wife into waterfowl, and her first two geese uh, called in. For, actually, her first two geese she killed. Awesome. She, both were banded, you know, so she started off, <laughs> she doesn't realize, and now she's, you know, killing coyotes, and she shot two big bucks. And she's on a two-year, so in her two years, she's been pretty successful, and they come in and say, well, how come you don't have a bunch of waterfowl mounted? And I said, man, I've killed yeah. waterfowl all over, and it's like, you yeah. know, I've guided them for so long, and they're they're by the thousands, and it, but I have a lot of deer because each one is personal, and it was, it's kind of a sure. spiritual thing with me hunting whitetails. I kind of go after one I critter agree. and I hunt one critter and I'll go through the season and experience a lot of great things. And not saying I don't, I right. love the waterfowl, love the challenge. And it's either someday the bear gets you or you eat the bear. And that's what's waterfowl. And I think, right. the, I right. think the waterfowl podcast would be good for another show. That's what I think. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm in on that. Cause yeah, that's a whole nother, whole nother world that we could dive into. And um, I think I probably hunted waterfowl actually. I've hunted, waterfowl in more countries than i have big game i think um and some of these i mean like even africa africa's a sleeper south africa's got some amazing wing shooting opportunities um not just for you know people that are doing species collection but i mean also they've got some pretty awesome volume hunts over there too um kind of best of both worlds when it comes to wing shooting for upland and waterfowl did you do so, any yeah, waterfowl yeah, we're, let's do another podcast and, and strictly waterfall because you have traveled all over and you probably did you get to do some wing shooting in Argentina? Um, yes, but it was mainly just uh, dove and, and pigeon. Right. Um, we were we were there primarily. This was what two weeks ago now. Uh, we were there primarily during the the roar for stags. That's when they're rutting, and it was awesome. Um, you know, hearing ten, twenty different bulls roaring um, every morning and. It was it was a pretty incredible experience, and then we hunted water buffalo and some black buck while we were there too. All free range. It was really really cool. It's one of the oldest cattle ranches in Argentina. Um, Isn't that where some of the best story. beef come from? Say it again. Isn't that where you, your best quality cattle beef is supposed to be from Argentina? I think. Isn't yeah, it? yeah. There's some great great beef that comes out of, uh, out of Argentina, and um, that's a, obviously a, a huge uh, part of their economy and and what they do and uh, it was cool to get to experience all that and 85,000 acre ranch that is so wow. my, my friend uh, Remy his uh, great great grandfather or it was a great 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 grandfather um, was one of the first cattle operators to go out there and he went out there and became friends with the what was native Indians in, the, in that region at the time up in La Pampa, La Pampa. 
and uh, befriended them and started trading with them and was leasing ground. And then over the last several generations, it's turned into this 85,000 acre plus cattle ranch that has some amazing red stag hunting on it as well. So pretty, pretty cool story. I mean, everybody's obsessed with the show Yellowstone and yeah. the like they real life version, but in Argentina, it's pretty, pretty cool place to go. So who plays Rip? that's right okay here's another one for you the 50 dollars question hunting red stag argentina or new zealand uh, so i like both for different reasons um so let me break it down this way so that everybody has full context to why my answer is going to be what it is in argentina you have way more free range um the reality is all these massive red stag that people see, they don't get that big in the free range. Okay. So the big stag coming out of New Zealand, the big stag coming out of Argentina, the big stag coming out of places in Europe, those are high fence animals. Typically you're not going to shoot a 350, 400, 450 inch stag in free range. Argentina has way more free range opportunity. Um, New Zealand, even their most of their high fence operations that I've been to, um, they're pretty small. They're thousand, three thousand acres. Um, you're going to see huge stag, and it's still you know a fun hunt. But I like to preface that because some people are very much against hunting high fence. Um, some people don't care; they just want a, a magnificent animal and some meat, and that and that's fine too. I I have always been a D all of the above. I've done all of it. Um, I love the challenge of hunting those free range stag in Argentina better for me personally, but I don't want to take away from what, what that New Zealand experience is too, because it's special in its own right. Especially if you add on hunting tar and chamois on the South Island, because that is all free range and a pretty, pretty difficult hunt. Um, and so both are great, but I would say, you know, there's a lot of factors that go into making that decision. It's hard to pick one over the other um, until I really know what somebody, what kind of experience they're wanting out of the, the whole opportunity, if that makes sense. Oh, it makes a lot of sense, buddy. And I, you know what? I appreciate we're winding down here. I appreciate you spending your time. You're, you're being, giving me a chance to revisit some of my childhood dreams, listen to your African experiences. I love it. And, uh, I, I can't wait to do the Waterfowl podcast with you because I'm sure we got another hour of stuff that we'll be able to bounce back off. But I wish you safe travels, my friend. And I'd like to thank this week's guest, Ryan Basham, for joining us this week. If you like what you heard in this week's episode, please consider giving us a like and or subscribe so you'll be sure not to miss a single episode of more hunting information and adventures. Be sure to check out our waterfowl and turkey game calls at legendarygearusa.com. That's legendarygearusa.com. Now, if you're out there tipping toenails, always remember to hunt safe, hunt smart, and may the good Lord be your guide.